Good morning. If you've been with us, you know, we've uh, really the last since the beginning of the year, we've been going through some different books. We work, We just finished working through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we went through the book of Galatians. We did a uh, Jude. We've kind of been and then we've done a series on the church and a few different things. And um, so I was thinking about that, reflecting on that this week and where we're going to go next. We're going to start a new series this week. Um, it's going to take us really right up until Christmas. So for the next 11 weeks, we're going to do this. And if, if you weren't aware, as I sat down and planned this out this week, Christmas is in 12 weeks, which seemed very, very odd to me. I don't know if that does to you, but that in 12 weeks we're at Christmas already. But what we're going to do and what we're calling this series is walking with Jesus. And what kind of hit me as I was looking at all these things and planning, we fit on a few different sermons in those series where we went into the Gospels. But we just haven't spent much time really in the last year in the Gospels. Um, all of God's word is inspired. All of it is true. All of it is profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking. But it's also good to spend some time in the Gospels and uh, walking with Jesus as it is. Um, I was reminded as I thought about this this week, a book that I read a couple years ago uh, by a pastor in Australia. And his name is Michael Frost. And he was talking about how in his church, one of the things they challenge the body of believers to do together is to spend at least some time each week in the Gospels. Reading Jesus's words. And he says, as we're trying to be uh, Jesus's hands and feet to a broken world, that's what we're to be as the church. He says he uh, challenges them to be reading through the Gospels, at least some every week so that you're spending that time with Christ. And, and again, that doesn't discount the rest of God's word or spending time or studying other books. If you're doing maybe a uh, maybe you've set aside some time and you're working through scripture and maybe you have a read the Bible in a year plan or you have a way that you're going about it, that's wonderful. I'm certainly not uh, discounting that. That's great. Keep doing that. But I do want to make a challenge to you the next 11 weeks as we're going through this. I challenge you to spend at least some time each week in the Gospels, reading Jesus' words. Just as we're doing this, uh, this um, series, so you're dwelling on what he said. And, and as we look at this this morning, um, I want you to think about what it was like to be there. What it was like to be right there in his immediate audience and listening to what he said and what, where he went and what he did. And uh, I think if you if you really take up that challenge and you really spend that time uh, in Jesus's words and looking at his earthly life and his ministry, you might be a little surprised what you find. Sometimes we get ideas about who Jesus is and what he's like and what he did. And it kind of grows up in stories when you're a child and, and very true stories or, or then, then Jesus becomes a. Uh, like what we see in paintings, he's blonde haired and blue eyed and he looks like a North American, even though he wasn't. But uh, we, we start to get these things in our mind of, of who Jesus is and what he really looked like. And I think if you really spend some time looking at what he did and where he, what he said and where he went, you might be a little surprised. And there's actually a quote we put in the bulletin in the reflections this week from Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch. They wrote a book together about Jesus. And it says, if your answer to the question is, what would Jesus do is that he would be conventional safe, respectable, and refined, then we suspect you didn't find that answer in the Gospels. Where Jesus went and what he said and who he talked to and he hung out with might surprise us if you really look at what he did. So just have that mind as you're thinking through, as we're walking through this, this series and thinking about walking with Jesus and what he did and where he went and what he said. So with that in mind, just kind of a backdrop of what we're doing, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 today. 
And I'm going to read for us in just a second, verses 14 uh, to 39 of Mark chapter one. And we're starting and we're not going to just go straight through the book of Mark. We're going to be in the Gospels. We are working pretty much the next uh, for this series chronologically. And we're probably going to most of what we're going to hit on is going to be in Jesus's first year of his ministry. And uh, we're starting with Mark and right at the beginning and essentially the the public beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, Mark was the the first of the four Gospels written, so it was the earliest. But um, with with that as background, let's just jump in and we're going to read 14 to, to 39 and then we'll look at those verses. And it says, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make, make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets and immediately called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or were oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And when he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go On to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at those those verses this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us. We thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for your uh, very flesh coming to us and and taking on and walking in our life and speaking to our condition and doing what we could never do. Pray that we would see that clearly today by your word and your actions and what you said and what you did and what you're doing today. We thank you for this place. We pray that you would uh, remove any 
things that would keep us from you this morning, that you would open our minds to clearly hear your word, that it would be clearly presented, that it would be in accord with all of your scripture. We thank you for what you do for us and all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 25 verses, quite a few verses, so if you're thinking, oh no, <laughs> 25 verses, this isn't going to be like an hour long or hour and a half long sermon. We're really, what we're really going to do this morning is really hit on, there's only four verses that Jesus actually talks in this. And although we see a lot of what he's doing and we're going to look at that, we're really going to focus on what he was saying and what he was talking about. So let's start right at the beginning with verse 15, the first thing he says in this passage, and it says, uh, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And I want us to start with just that very first phrase he says, that the time is fulfilled. If you were in Sunday school with us this morning, we actually saw some great teaching from R.C. Sproul. We watched a video this morning in which he hits on this idea, the fullness of of time, And I want us just to consider exactly what that means for just a moment. What does that mean when Jesus say the time is fulfilled? Um, Paul gives us a better understanding of it when he uses almost the same phrase in Galatians 4. And he says this in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And I want us to stop and think about that for just a second. What exactly does that mean? Because this is a monumental statement, what Jesus says. When he says the time is fulfilled and to get that, to grasp how big of a statement that is, you actually have to go all the way back to the beginning of time. All the way back to when God created the heavens and the earth and he put man on earth because it goes all the way back to there when Jesus says the time is fulfilled. Um, if you know, just real briefly, Adam and Eve, the story in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are there. God says, don't eat from this tree. Just trust me. And if you know the story, of course, they don't. They don't trust him and sin enters the world at that moment. Brokenness, um, all problems. I was trying to think of how huge uh, that is. That moment from the second before they sinned to after what changed. And the reality is everything was in perfect peace. Everything was in perfect harmony. It was going along perfectly. No problems, nothing. They sin and all that changed at that moment, at that very second. And I kept trying to think of a good way um, just from one second to the next, how that just all changed. What was going through Adam and Eve's head the second before sin and then the second after and what enters and the doubt and the, um, the problems and everything that comes into the world at that moment. And I kept thinking um, and it's not a perfect example, but it's, it's as if uh, our relationship with God is broken in that moment. Suddenly, we sin enters in a holy, perfect God, and there's a, there's a disconnect there that happens right there in the garden at that second. And I was thinking of um, if your child was taken from you, if, if one of my boys was kidnapped, if they were taken from me, what that would be like the second they were gone. How overwhelming the grief and the fear and the anxiety and all those things that would come into play at that very moment, the second that that would happen, if that happened, and how awful that would be. And really, as we start to think about when sin entered the world, it's that times infinite. Because Adam and Eve had perfect 
peace, perfect communion, perfect relationship with the God of creation with them, and then all of a sudden it was broken off. It wasn't the same anymore. And although he still loves us and he still cares for us, just as if my child was taken from me, I would still love them dearly. It's, it's severed. And I started to think about that and how huge and mon- monumental that would be. But what happens in Genesis right there when it happens, God immediately says, I'm going to fix it. I have a plan to fix this problem. And it's going, it's, it's in action right now, right at that moment. And he says that in Genesis 3.15. And then as we look ahead to Jesus' words and we look through all of Scripture, that's what's happening. That's the backstory of all of Scripture. God is on a mission to rescue, to redeem all of creation. And it happens right there and it goes throughout. And I started thinking about that, how huge that story is and how it comes into different things. And you see it all the time in popular culture and books and movies. How many movies are made where there's the protagonist, it's the... The prince or the king or the whoever, and they go to save the person who's far off, the woman who's up in the tower, the sleeping beauty or all those things and all those movies. And that's really what's behind so much of that. Right. It goes all the way through. We see that in stories. It touches our hearts. And the reality is it's because it's the true story that's underneath all of it in a much deeper way. Now, your mind probably goes to whatever your favorite movie is or your story or or ladies think of a wonderful love story or what you like. As a guy, I immediately think of Last of the Mohicans. If you've ever seen that movie, it's based on the book of uh, it's about the French Indian War. And it's um, but there's a scene in the movie where it's the most famous scene from. And I think it won Best Picture. But anyway, there's a scene in the movie where they're under a waterfall and he turns to the. Of course, Hollywood makes it into a big love story and, and the guy turns and he turns to this lady and he tells her how I will find you. And he tells her, you, you stay alive. And he says, no matter what, no matter how long it takes or how far I have to go, I will find you. And it's this really, really serious, you know, the moment in the movie. And we have that in all of popular culture. In a way, really, that's what God is saying in Genesis 3.15. I will find you and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to bring you back. That's what he's saying right there at the beginning. So when we turn to Mark here at the beginning of Mark's gospel and there's Jesus and he starts into his ministry. And the first thing he says, the time is fulfilled. That is a promise thousands of years in the making because God has now come to redeem us. He stepped into the story and how huge that is when he says the time has been fulfilled The promise that was made in Genesis thousands of years ago is now coming to fruition in my life and my person. And he steps into this story. So I want us to get how big that is. But then I want us to think about as we're working through this passage, what does he do to proclaim that it's here? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. And there's really three things we see him doing in a. In this passage, and we really see throughout Jesus's ministry. And as we consider what he's doing and those, there's actually three questions I want to ask. And that, I'm jumping ahead. That's really the first part of it. The first question I want us to ask is, what does he do? And we see the three things that he does in just a second. The second, what does it teach us? And then the third, how are we to respond? So what does he do? What does it teach us? And how are we to respond? So the first, what does he do? And that's where I, I kind of get ahead of myself. Three things we see him doing here in this passage is he pronounces the kingdom is here. And if you look at verses 21 through really 22, 23, right in there, it says he went into Capernaum and immediately he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. The first thing we see him do is he's teaching. He goes straight to the synagogue and he begins teaching. But then skip down a little further right there in verse 23 and 24. And he went into the synagogue and there was a man with an unclean spirit. And it says Jesus in verse 25 rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him in the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So the second thing you see him do is he's removing spiritual bondage. He's casting out demons. He's taking on evil spirits, unclean spirits, as it says in Mark. And then go down just a little further for the third thing is right there towards the end. Uh, verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately um, they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So you see three things that Jesus is doing. He's announcing the kingdom and here's what he does. He walks in and he starts teaching and he starts casting out demons and unclean spirits and he starts healing. And you see these three things and what we start to see is as Jesus does that, it's his way of pronouncing the kingdom is here. What he's showing is he is he is Lord over all creation. Right. He comes in and he immediately uh, starts to teach. He's correcting our thinking. He's telling us what's truth. He's giving us the proper way to see things. But then he's healing physical things. And he's also releasing spiritual bondage. And he goes one right after the other. And what you see is he's taking all parts of it. Now, a lot of times um, we can slip into uh, you, you let your mind kind of our modern mind get the best of us sometimes. And maybe you have this objection. Maybe you don't. That's that's OK if you don't. It's good if you don't. But uh, sometimes we'll go, really, demons? You really think he was healing demons and he was casting things out? And, the, and that's kind of our objection today, especially with our modern mind. That, come on. Jesus was a good teacher and he was a good guy and did all these things. But really that. And we kind of throw that aside. You can't really believe that. But the reality is, if we, if we believe in a supernatural God that created all things and he's a personal God, it makes perfect sense that there would be supernatural evil. There would be evil things in the world that we can't see. If we believe and we hold to a realm in which a God exists and there's things outside of our sight, it makes perfect sense that there would be on the other end of the spectrum. And that's that's hard for some people. A lot of times people will take that and they'll attack that uh, the demons and Jesus healing. Like in Mark five, there's a crazy man that he heals that's, that says he's he's demon possessed. And people go, well, that's just because in the Bible they didn't know what schizophrenia was. Right? And that's that's a very real uh, objection today. Well, they just didn't know and they were trying to describe it the best they could. So they came up with some, you know, the Bible actually differentiates <laughs> Between um, craziness, mental problems, and demon possession. It has two different words. The Bible says, no, 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 this is demon possession and this is crazy. It, it actually differentiates. So when we simplify it to say, oh, well, they just were superstitious and they thought you're not being true to what Scripture actually says. Because it does differentiate. So maybe you don't have that objection. But I will say when we talk about his his uh, miracles, whether it's healing or casting out demons or that side of it, it really comes down to how you see the world in general. And what we see when we see the big picture of Scripture, the reality is that Jesus, when he comes and does miracles and he heals people and he does these things, he's not 
interrupting the natural order. He's actually restoring the natural order. Because the unnatural part is what sin did when it entered creation. And it broke us with him. So when Jesus comes and pronounces, the kingdom is at hand. And I've come to restore this. That's what he's saying. I'm coming. When he heals and when he sets things right, he's making it back to the way it originally was intended to be. It depends on your perspective. If you see this is all natural and all that's just hocus pocus and it's not out there, then you say, oh, well, that couldn't have happened. But when you see it from a biblical view, that's the way it was originally supposed to be when Jesus starts to do that. He's proclaiming the kingdom and he's showing what it's like. But it's interesting when you start to see. So that's what he's doing. But we haven't really looked at what his words are, what he's saying. Look at me with verse uh, 23 to verse 25. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. There's an interesting thing happening. And I don't know if you've ever caught this before when you're reading through the Gospels or if you've had this question. But here Jesus comes and he proclaims. It says uh, right there at the beginning, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the kingdom is at hand. And then he goes and he heals. And as the demon comes out and it starts to proclaim, starts to say who he is. And he says, be silent. Tells him to be silent. And sometimes you can jump and you can read here and you can go, well, it was a demon. So maybe he didn't really want the demon proclaiming who he was. But, but skip ahead with me. And this is outside of the, the passage, but just real briefly. Verse uh, 40, chapter 1, verse 40. And it says, a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and saying, if you will, will you make me clean? And it says, Jesus had pity on him. And he says, I will be clean. And the leprosy immediately left him and he was made clean. And then Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, saying, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer cleansing and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he heals this man of leprosy, but then he immediately says, don't tell anybody. Same thing he says when the demons leave. Or in verse 34, it says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Does it seem odd at all? Here he's proclaiming the kingdom and he's doing these works that point to what the kingdom is like. But then he says, don't tell anybody. It's kind of an interesting thing when you start to look at it. And I think what you're seeing in scripture here is we try to make it all about the, the supernatural, the miracles and those things. And Jesus is saying, wait just a second. Don't get so caught up on just this part. The healings and the things he were doing were wonderful and they were signs of what is to come in God's kingdom. And when it comes fully at Jesus' return, all those things will have a fullness. And that is a wonderful, beautiful thing that Jesus says, wait a second. Let's not get ahead of ourselves because I want you to see how that happens. He says, oh, don't get it. Don't make it all about miracles, because if you do, I want you to think about that. If Jesus just comes and he heals miracles, he I mean, does healing miracles and he does these things and people are going, wow, look at this. And he he heals this person, and he heals this person, and, he heals, and then he leaves and that's it. Where are we? A handful of people got healed and they saw God's power, but sin and the overall problem has not been dealt with. The thing that's behind underneath it, our sin, our separation for God has not been dealt with. And Jesus knew that better than anyone. So he says, whoa, instead of making it all about this, just be quiet and listen to what I'm saying. 
Listen to my words as well. The, the reality is when we see and you see this all throughout Jesus's ministry as he starts healing and he starts doing things, people show up and they're all about the miracles. Heal me. Give me this. Do this. And what happens is, and we do the same thing today, we take Jesus and we try to use him. I want to take a little part of what you say and what you do and it'll make my life better over here. Right? I'm going to take some principles from the Bible and it'll give me a better marriage. Which it will, but if you're using Jesus for just that reason, you're missing the whole point. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't make it about something that it's not supposed to be. or not. Don't make the... the thing over here on the side, the primary thing. Don't miss how you get to that. That's what he's really saying. And so he starts to tell them, slow down just a second. So what is he really saying? What is he teaching us? What does he say? What are his words that are so important that he says, don't get caught up on that miracle over there? In verse 27, it says, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Why was Jesus wanted them to be so careful to hear what he was saying? The reality is that the author of the story has now entered the story in Jesus Christ. Which means he's not, as they say, he doesn't teach like the scribes. No, he doesn't teach like the scribes because a scribe is someone who takes scripture and learns it and internalizes it and teaches it. No, this is very different. This is the author of the whole story coming and explaining it. So when Jesus says, don't get off just on that. Right. The miracles and the things are there about they're there to point to what he's going to say. And he says, don't miss what I'm saying. And I want you to think how huge that is. If you've ever uh, feel like me, I, I like music a lot and I listen to music and I'll hear words, some really deep, deep meaning or something that that the person who wrote the song. And then then you go and you, you kind of go, I wonder what he means by that. And you kind of put your own meaning to it. And then I'll go and I'll read an article where they explain what it says. And then it's like, oh, that's what it means. That's the guy who wrote it. So that's what it means. It's the same thing with all of life, all of creation. When Jesus comes, this is what it means. I'm the author. That's what he's saying. Listen to what I'm saying. That's why they were astounded at his teaching, because he wasn't teaching as someone who had just mastered the material. He's teaching as the author of all of it. That's why he was so wanted to make sure they were hearing what he was saying. You see, in verse 38, Jesus has gone off and he's praying by himself. And Simon comes to him and says, hey, everybody is looking for you. And what does he say in verse 38? Let us go to the next town that I may preach there, for that is why I came out. That I may preach there, that they may hear what I'm going to say. And he gets up and he goes. So what is it that he came to say? What is it that Jesus says, don't get caught up on these things, but hear what I'm telling you. And it's right there at the beginning when he says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Right? What Jesus says and what he goes on to say and what is so important and all throughout his life it's pointing to is I've come to give you good news. Right? We say that over and over, what gospel is, it means good news. What the gospel means is good news done for you. Jesus came, and the important thing wasn't, here, I'm going to show you some miracles and this stuff, it's so you can see what I've come to do for you. Because the reality is, what I was just saying just a second ago, is that the problems, if he just heals and he just does those things, it doesn't deal with the root problem. And the root problem is our sin and our... our uh, 
separation from God because of our sin. And Jesus says the good news, what I came to tell you about, what I came for, is I came to restore you. And the only way that happens is I come and I do it for you. I come and I lay down my life. I come and I take the punishment. I give you my perfect righteousness because you can't do it on your own. I have to do it for you. That's why it was so important that he says you hear me. Don't make this about surface just a healing here or there. You hear what I'm talking about, what's underneath this, what solves all the problems. Because if it's just about healings, we're on the surface still. And he says, no, 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 we're going all the way down. I'm going to fix all of it. I'm going to destroy the sin. I'm going to destroy the problem. So what we get that there's the signs of the kingdom, but Jesus wants to make sure we get the fullness of what he's saying and what he's teaching. And the reality is, is that he comes and he gives us the good news that you don't have to earn your way to heaven because you could never do it. And that's for all of us. But the good news is Jesus has already done it for you. A gift that you receive by God's sheer grace and nothing else. The gospel's not choosing, uh, it's not about choosing to follow advice, it's about being called to follow a king. Big difference. Very big difference. It's not just someone with a power and authority. Jesus doesn't come with power and authority and then say, here's what you do. Here's some great teaching. Here's some morals. Here's some things you follow. Now go do it. That's not what he does. But it's about someone coming with a power and authority to do what needs to be done and then offer it as good news. That's the gospel. I'm going to do it for you and then offer it as a free gift. And what he was saying is make sure you hear what I'm saying and while I'm here, what I'm about here. And don't get caught up on these other things. So what we see is what he's doing is he's proclaiming the kingdom and he's doing so by word and deed and he's showing what it looks like. But then also he's teaching us that it's only through faith alone, that it's only through the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. So we get to the end and the last question. So how are we to respond to that? And there's two ways I want to take that real briefly this morning. If you... uh, are questioning who Jesus is, if you don't know him personally, you don't know him as the son of God, the answer to that question of how you respond is exactly what Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. If you haven't done that, do that today. Don't wait. If you take the wrong side of it, you make it about the other things and you say, oh, Jesus is a good teacher and I'll just follow his teaching and I'll be a little better. And maybe I'll join a church when I get things together. Or maybe I'll decide to follow Jesus fully when my life's a little in better shape. He doesn't want me quite like that. <laughs> You'll never come. That's the problem. There's a song we sing often here. We've been singing a lot recently that says, come you sinners. And it says, if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. And then it says, I will arise and go to Jesus and he will greet me in his arms. So if you sit here today and you think, I don't have it together enough to come to Jesus, you're missing what he's saying. None of us have it together enough. None of us. And it's not until we realize that, that he's saying, you don't have to have it together. I'm giving this to you. I'm doing it for you. Just lay it down at my feet. That's the first part. If you haven't done that, don't wait. 
But then the second part is if you have, it's in verses 17, 18, and 19. You see it right there. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going a little further to James and John, and he says, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired servants and they followed him. You understand what it's saying? They left everything. They said, we're going to make our whole lives about you and following you. And you can see what Jesus says. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I will shape you and use you and then you can go and proclaim who I am. So if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, I want you to think about what that means. The author of the very story that knows everything about you and your life and knows it better than you ever could. What does that mean to follow him? It means you put him central and nothing else. He is the way you see everything. There's no, there's no such thing as being too committed to Jesus. Really, all the problems we see in the church and all, it's the opposite. We're not committed enough to him. So whether you don't know him today, if that's the case, we would love to talk to you about that. There's people down here after the service that would love to pray with you. If you have questions what that means or how you take those steps, I would love nothing more than to talk to you. There's a lot of people in this church that would love to talk to you about that. But if you have, I want you to really stop and consider what your life looks like. Are you following him like he's the author of the story and he's telling you what it looks like? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a far off God. We thank you that you came to us and you walked amongst us. That you know exactly what we go through. That you entered into the story to show us your truth. To show us who you are more clearly. To give us an exact representation of God's glory here on earth. And we thank you for that. Most of all, we thank you that you didn't stop there, but that you came and that you took our place and you laid your life down for us, that you could restore us to what we were meant for, to be in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for that. We look forward to the day when you return and all the beauty of your kingdom comes in full and we just, we thank you. And we, we wait uh, eagerly for that day. We thank you for all you do for us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.